0: We want you to know you absolutely matter to God, and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. So, for the last several weeks we've been in this series on the, on the difference between Christianity and other world religions. We, we kicked it off looking at the difference between Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism. We looked at Judaism we looked at all things related to Islam. We even looked at the sort of the, the difference, uh, maybe subtle differences sometimes between Catholics and Protestants. Last week we looked at what separates the historic Christian faith with these newer, you know, American-born religions of of Mormonism and, and Jehovah's Witnesses. It's it's been quite a ride. Some of the feedback has been really encouraging. It might have answered some questions that you have, either by um, you know about your own existing Christian faith, or maybe some of you have been kicking tires about what you believe. It hopefully added some measure of clarity in sorting out your own spiritual journey. Some of y'all might be asking, you know, why are we even talking about this? Um, some years ago, a man and his family started attending NAC, and they seemed happy here, and they were getting involved, and seem like faithful Christians. Then something in a sermon, I, might have been just an offhanded remark, I don't even remember, but it, it caused him to talk to me after the service, and he said, so are you saying that the only way to true faith, the only way to heaven, um, is not Muhammad or Allah or Buddha, it's Jesus? And I was like, well, yeah, (laughs) Uh, that's what I'm saying. But uh, more to the point, that's what Jesus says. And he was visibly agitated and upset. And he said, I don't know about that. It sounds pretty closed-minded. And I was like, you know, we're pretty open-handed about a lot of things around here. We don't make a ton of hard and fast rules, but like This is the whole ball of wax here, you know, who you say Jesus is. That's kind of everything. And he left mad, and that was the end of them attending NAC, unfortunately. And and while he was talking, I, I thought either he's been, you know, deeply spiritually deceived or I have somehow failed him for all these months or both. Every Sunday should proclaim in one way or another that it's all about Jesus. There are no substitutes. There's no equals. There's no peers. There's no rivals. There's no competitors or counterparts. Jesus alone is the way to salvation. So it's made me want to be very clear in a world of countless spiritual options. And we love, we love our options in North America and we have no desire to, uh, to offend anyone. But if you are going to leave offended, we owe it to you to at least leave knowing the truth. So today, as we bring this series to an end, I want to do it in a very specific way. I want to lay out as clearly as I can. Um, as we've looked at the, you know, the differences between Christian faith and other world religions, You know, perhaps focusing more on what Christians aren't, and instead today, just, just lay it out, and, and at the end of it, if you say, well, that sounds nice, thanks, but no thanks, you can at least say you know what you're saying no to, and who knows, perhaps for others, others who might have been coming to church for a long time would authentically be able to say, I choose Jesus. I'm putting my heart and life and my sense of what's true with him. Because hopefully this series has been more than just like a, an exercise in intellectual stimulation. When you're, when you're talking about understanding the true nature of God, what he has actually revealed to us, how we can enter into a relationship with him and how our eternity will be determined. I I think you're talking about the most important things in life. And so there's a lot of ways we could skin this cat, I guess. Lots of stories from the Bible, lots of passages I could point you to. But I want to just focus on one encounter between a man who met privately with Jesus to ask him the most important questions in life. And Jesus gave him the clearest answer imaginable, but it probably wasn't what he was expecting. So, so let me read the entire exchange, and then we'll unpack it. There was a man named Nicodemus, a, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs or evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and and you don't understand these things? Later he says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's a, that's a fascinating back and forth to me. It, it, beginning with who it was that went to Jesus. We're told his name is Nicodemus. And we're told that he's a, uh, a Jewish religious leader, a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees were the devout of the devout. Um, in fact, the word Pharisee means to, to separate. And that's exactly what they did. They separated themselves from... Culture for anything and everything that would violate religious law. They they were like the Navy SEALs of Judaism, you know, the elite, the 1%. They do more for God by 6 a.m. than you do all day, you know. And there were only around 6,000 of them, and they knew the Jewish law inside out and vowed to keep just every letter of it. Not only that, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he was also a Jewish religious leader that means he was part of this committee called the Sanhedrin only 71 of them people who who governed the Jewish people and the Romans who at that time in history occupied this part of of the world they they delegated all kinds of authority to this group and they were like you know we don't get all your weird laws and customs and so you can self-govern up to a point. And so the Sanhedrin had this authority, not only in religious matters, but in a lot of you know, civil and, and criminal matters. And Nicodemus was one of those 71 leaders who ruled over the entire Jewish nation. Now, if you know anything about the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, it starts to make sense why he visited Jesus late at night under the cover of darkness He didn't want anyone to know that he was talking to Jesus. He wasn't ready to go public with what he was wrestling with and thinking about and the questions for Jesus that were kind of swirling around his head and in his heart. But he starts off with something of a a confession. He confesses how he's intrigued by Jesus. He's drawn to Jesus and, and how what Jesus had been teaching and and what he had done had kind of rocked his world. Let me read that part again. After dark one evening he came to speak with Jesus, Rabbi. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So so Nicodemus uh, cracks open the door, you could say, to Jesus. He lets Jesus know that he's he's curious. He's wrestling that he knows there's something about Jesus that's different. Different than any other religious leader, including himself. And the response Jesus gave him, um, I think must have been stunning to Nicodemus. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can... reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. I was a five-year-old Nicodemus. I was raised in a pastor's home, raised in a small church in Sterling, Ontario. Anybody ever hear of that? Of course, three people have. And uh, <laughs> hearing songs, and phrases like, washed in the blood, ooh, gross, uh, a hedge of protection, or, is this a shrubbery thing? I didn't know, and, and like Nicodemus, I'd hear this phrase, born again, and even five-year-old Jonathan was like, what, back in your mom's belly? Can I tell you, I was, I was, a, I was a pretty brilliant five-year-old, and um, I climbed up on my dad's knee and said, how do you be born again? Talk about, you know, tossing a lob ball to a pastor. And with that simple five-year-old understanding, you know, something changed. I have had faith ups and downs, but I'm told that actually something really did change for that little five-year-old. Apparently, I was a bit of a hellion, and something... (laughs) something happened that day. And I suspect most of you have heard that phrase born again, as in born again Christians, or or hearing somebody say you must be born again. And you may even have some negative connotations or baggage when you hear that. But let's just strip away all the cultural stuff and and how you may have had that even hurled at you like a missile. and And just let What Jesus said, be taken how it was meant to be taken. First, you are born physically. Yes, we can all agree on that. But then Jesus tells Nicodemus that there is a second birth that needs to take place. A second birth that that Nicodemus, even as a deeply religious and moral man, had never experienced. So from the outside, it would seem a guy like Nicodemus would be like, one of the closest to God, um, based on his vocation and his good deeds, his devotion, and yet it seems he was still very far from God relationally. Now, Now think about what that meant, not just for Nicodemus, but for all of us. First, it means that the life Jesus was talking about, the relationship with God he came to offer, it had nothing to do with belonging, okay? Like belonging to a church or attending church. If it had been, I mean, no one was more in the religious in crowd than a guy like Nicodemus. He was a member of the Pharisees, even more uh, a member of this elite 71 group ruling class. Nicodemus belonged, he was on the VIP list, but Jesus made it clear. That ain't what it's about. And, and in fact, that's not all. What Jesus was talking about not only meant it didn't have anything to do with belonging, it didn't have anything to do with behaving. The idea, and it's an idea that I keep, you know, persist to this day, is that leading a good, moral, upstanding life will make things okay with God. God. That doing good, doing right, is the essence of a relationship with God. I hear that all the time. You know, the podcaster I respect, I just heard him say about New Year's resolutions. He said, I don't really do resolutions, but as a Christian, I go to Mass at Christmas and I make the general Christian pledge to be a better person. Whatever that means. And again, if that had been what it was all about, Nicodemus would have been nailing it. Like, because nobody was stricter in terms of lifestyle than the Pharisees. The Pharisaic system was developed around one major theme, purity, separation from the world, holiness. And Nicodemus was so committed to that, so disciplined in his pursuit of it, that he was made one of the leaders of the Pharisees. So by any account, Nicodemus was trying as hard as anyone, maybe more than anyone, to be a good person. And Jesus says, it's not about being good. You know, living a moral life is something that God desires for us, yes. And he wants to help us with it. It's, it's not, though, what a life of relationship with God is about following a set of, of do's and don'ts or rules and regulations. It's it's not at the heart of a of an authentic spirituality. And so Jesus wasn't talking about belonging, he wasn't talking about behaving. And this may come as a surprise to some of you, but he wasn't talking about just believing. The idea that if someone just you know believes in God, believes in the Bible, believes um, in the theology, then they're living the spiritual life, the born-again life. That belief is is what it means to be um, in a relationship with God. Um, and if I believe, not only am I a Christian and have Jesus operating in my life, but then when I got, die, I'll go to heaven like this cosmic uh, fire insurance. <laughs> but really, that wasn't what Jesus was talking about either. If it was, Nicodemus would have been good to go. Nicodemus was devoted to scripture. He was a scholar, a teacher. He accepted every word of it as God's truth. He, he probably had large portions of scripture memorized. But the acceptance of certain facts or beliefs or doctrines or worldviews is not enough because intellectually, embracing something is very different than experientially living something. So with, with a single line, Jesus exposed everything about Nicodemus' attempt at a spiritual life. Jesus told him that everything he knew, everything he understood, was not what being in a relationship with God was about. And, and so you get this sense in the narrative that Nicodemus himself knew there was something more. After all the learning and devotion and religious checklists and watching his P's and Q's, there was still this emptiness. That's why I'm meeting with Jesus in secret. That's, there's got to be something more to this. So if it's not about belonging, if it's not about behaving, if it's not just about believing. What is this all about? And, and Jesus says one thing, be born again. If you want to experience a spiritual life, you have to go through a spiritual birth. Just like, you know, you can't experience a physical life without a physical birth. A spiritual life needs a spiritual birth. kind of makes sense when you think about it that way. It's, it's just, True that there is a relational starting point where this spirit life would be birthed in you. It's about God offering you a new beginning, a a clean start, a a clean slate, the chance for you to become a new person by allowing you to enter into a life-changing, personal, intimate relationship with God as your forgiver, as your leader, as your friend. And, and because belonging, behaving, and even just believing are are empty in and of themselves, they're not enough, we need more than that. Our souls crave more than that. We need relationship. We need an encounter. We, we need contact with the living God. We we need to have our entire life reshaped, remade, reoriented, reborn. And and with that in mind, Nicodemus then asked the question that I think any one of us would have asked, how is this even possible? How does anyone experience that kind of spiritual rebirth? And here's what Jesus told him. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And in those two sentences, Jesus gave Nicodemus, four absolutely critical things to know. God loves the world. God gave his son. He wants everyone to believe. And those who believe will have eternal life. They'll be born again. Wait, I thought you said uh, belief doesn't matter. Just, just hang on. Let, let's first make sure that we understand each one. First, God loves the world. the the word Jesus uses for world here from the original Greek was a way of referring to everyone in the world, everyone who existed, everyone who would ever exist. It means he was not saying, Nicodemus, God loves you as a Jewish person and God loves Jewish people. God loves Israel. He's saying that God loves the world, which means he loves us. He loves you. In fact, God loves us so much that he gave his son, gave him to the world, gave him to die for the world. And because those in the world who are stained by the mark of sin can't save themselves, they would only face physical and spiritual death unless someone perfect took their place and paid for those sins. And Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, like he says to us, That's what I came to do. And then Jesus explains why this God who loves the world so much and gave his son would do such a thing. He did it so that we would believe. Not the kind of belief that Nicodemus already had, but belief in the deepest sense of the word. Because here's here's the rub. True belief is more than knowing facts. It's more than even just saying that you accept the facts the kind of believing we're talking about is is giving your life over to that which you say you believe in real belief is more than just accepting a body of knowledge or a set of data points real belief real faith goes deeper than that it involves your entire inner world and it expresses itself outwardly in in an increasingly transformed life. Real belief is giving yourself over to what you say you believe in. Uh, You know, I'm looking at some switches at the back of the church right now, and I believe 100%, I've tested this belief like a thousand times, that if I were to switch them down, the lights would go off. You can take that to the bank, okay? (laughs) I intellectually know it. I've tested the hypothesis before. It's as sure as I'm standing here. Still, it's not a belief I'm willing to give my life for. I'm not willing to change my life for that. It's not a belief that will transform me or give me hope and purpose and actually make me a better person. There's a there's a different kind of belief. Let's say you're single, and, and I ask you if you believe in marriage. And you say, of course. And I ask you, why? And you say, well, you know, it, it uh, creates a stable relationship that provides security for the partners. It's, it's probably the best arrangement in which to raise children. Maybe it even helps bolster the stability of society. And I say, you know what? That does sound good. Well, I'm a pastor, so allow me to pronounce you married. And you say, well, um, I would need someone to marry first. And I haven't found someone who will give themselves to me and to who I can give myself to. And I haven't got a partner with whom I can make a life with. And you'd be right. It's not enough to believe in marriage. You have to make a commitment and you, and you have to live out your promises to care for your partner and do all the things that love requires. That's why you can't just believe in God or Jesus or, or, you know, and have that be a marriage of sorts. You have to be in a relationship with him. You have to commit to him And if you really believe, really know that you are intimately related to what it is that you know. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, and I like to think because I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm that he's being a bit, (laughs) he's being a bit saucy here. He says, oh, you believe in Jesus? You believe there's a God? Oh, good for you. Um, Guess what? Demons believe that too. Satan believes that. And the whole book of James is the intellectual assent doesn't cut it. Signing off on the details of God's Wikipedia page doesn't cut it. True belief is, is, is giving over of yourself to the Jesus way. It brings us to the fourth big thing that Jesus said. God loved the world. He gave his son that we would believe and that those who believe in this way will have eternal life. A transformed life that actually begins now and will carry forward into eternity. And and that's where the record of the conversation with Nicodemus ends. So what happened to Nicodemus? What did he end up deciding and doing in relation to what Jesus laid out for him? We don't know for sure, but there's some, some interesting hints, though. Uh, we're told that when Jesus was, was brought for trial by, up to the Sanhedrin before his crucifixion, one and only one member of that group stood up for him. It was Nicodemus. And then after his crucifixion, two men went to Pilate, the the Roman governor of Judea, and asked for the body of Jesus in order to bury it. And uh, they did it at great risk to themselves, immediately following the crucifixion, before the resurrection. uh, Most Christ followers ran away, and they locked the door behind them. They feared that they might be executed next. Only these two men were seemingly strong enough in their faith. They resolved in their devotion to stand in front of authorities and ask for the body of Jesus. They were, in essence, going public with their allegiance, knowing that it could get them arrested as well. The first man was a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. The second was a man named Nicodemus. We don't know for sure if it was that Nicodemus But um, it seems like it might be the same Nicodemus who met Jesus in the dark of night. And now he was living for him in the light of day. But there's one biography, one story, one life, one decision that you can be absolutely sure about. And that's your own. If you want to be right with God if you want to be in a relationship with him through what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you want a dynamic, real, authentic, compelling faith, if you want to be a truly spiritual man, a truly spiritual woman, you need to be reborn. And that is just one prayer away, a conversation between You and God, a prayer that admits your need for God and that tells the truth that you haven't been living for God, you haven't been in relationship with Him. A prayer that says you want to come to Him, that you want to turn away from the way you've been living, and that you want to live for Him, with Him, through Him. Jesus called. People to repentance. And that is a word that simply means to change. It literally means to turn around, to face the other direction. And isn't that what you want? Do you, do you wanna to come to God, to a God who says, hey, I've been looking at your life and your heart and your motivations, and uh, I gotta say, it looks like you've got it all figured out. Stay the course. If, if that's what you think God will say, then clearly you don't need him. Clearly, you don't need saving from anything. You don't need saving from fear or worry or doubts or sickness or ultimately even death. Or is it more fitting that you would come to God saying, I need you. I don't want my life to keep going the way it's going. There are so many areas of my life where I'm just lost. I want change. I've I've tried it my way and it's been empty. So I'm ready to try the Jesus way. I want a life of God's presence, his relationship, a prayer that comes to Jesus and says that you believe who he said he was, that he died for what he said he died for, a prayer that accepts the incredible gift that that asks for it in your life, you pray that prayer and you will be reborn. Bells and whistles and sirens may not go off, but trust me, your eternity will be completely altered. God has taken up residence in your life and the adventure and the joy of the journey will begin. You will have been birthed spiritually. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Experienced that kind of rebirth? Made that kind of decision? Or has your whole life been about trying to belong, behave, muster up enough belief? Or maybe it's been a life to trying to avoid, deflect, justify, cover up, fake it till you make it. And you've never experienced the new life, the real life that Jesus offered, but you want to, you want to. So I want to give you the greatest gift I know how to give anyone, by far the most important thing I could ever do here in my role as a pastor. Everything else is such a distant second And that gift is to give you an opportunity to make that decision, to turn around from where you've been heading and to pray a prayer like that and begin experiencing this reborn life. And and during that time, we're going to have a prayer on the screen that you can pray or Maybe modify, make it your own. I want to give you a little time, a little space to whisper to God and let God whisper back to you. So let me offer a quick prayer before we give you a little gift of time. Father, I want to, I want to pray specifically for those who who know when they are most honest with themselves and with you, that they are not in a true relationship with you, but they want to be. And you want them to be in a relationship with you. So I pray that during this next song. They will pray to you in a way they never have before, that they will ask you to come into their life to forgive them, to lead them. And I pray that everyone here who's already in that relationship will be joining me in prayer this whole time. In Jesus' name, amen.